This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to enter the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you that we can come into your presence in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, indeed, we come and worship a holy God this morning. Lord, um, we pray that you would change our hearts and our minds. May we just uh, stand, we stand in awe of your glory. Thank you that you are a consuming fire. Lord, thank you that you are faithful. You're a faithful God. You're a loving God. And Lord, we are indeed humbled as we, as we stand before you this morning. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this encouraging report from Olivia, Evan, and Asher about the Dominican Republic missions trip. Lord, uh, what, what, a, what an encouragement. Thank you that you're working. We pray for the young people in the Dominican. Thank you for lives that were touched. We, we just pray for continued fruit, and we, we, we just pray as your gospel goes out to these hard places. That, that it would not return void, but your name would be glorified. Lord, we think of our, 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 our um, members of this congregation that have health concerns this morning. Lord, I, I uh, bring before you the, the Grace Island camps that have been, been held this summer. Lord, we just, we, we just stand amazed at how you've been working and your spirit's been working in the lives of young people. Thank you for, for the gospel that's been clearly presented, for our leaders, our staff, those working in the background that we don't often see and don't get recognized. We just want to praise you for, for all the work you've been doing this summer amongst our, our um, students. Lord Jesus, we, um, we, we pray for Pastor Paul as he as he prepares to bring your word this morning. And we just pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, prepare us to receive your truth. Lord, we, we need you now as we open your word. Um, may your spirit do a mighty work in this place today. And may we come and worship you in a pleasing and acceptable way. I pray all this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite uh, Tinas to come and do our scripture reading. Thank you. Morning, church. Um, We're reading from Psalm 85, so I will give you a second to get there. Psalm 85, revive us again. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. 
Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what, the, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness spring up from the ground, and righteousness look down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tinas. Okay. You know, all of the Psalms that we've looked at so far this summer have been penned by King David, uh, except for 33, which didn't have an author listed, um, but it was so closely connected to 32, which was written by David, it's, I think it's probably most likely King David as well. Uh, today, we look at a psalm of the sons of Korah, and they wrote uh, 11 of the psalms in, in the Psalter. You, you might not know who they are. So, so briefly, Korah was the one who raised a rebellion against Moses in the wilderness. And, and in doing so, was judged severely by God. His sons, however, did not die in this judgment like their father Korah. Most of his sons were later appointed as gatekeepers to the tabernacle and, and then to the, to the temple. Today, a gatekeeper, to, I mean, today, if we were to use that, we don't really use that word today. If we were to have that same you know, word today, it would probably be janitor. They were, they were janitors in, in the house of the Lord. It, it was humble work, but the Bible speaks highly of them as very capable men with the strength to do the work. And it seems that in gratitude to God, they dedicate themselves to producing and, and performing, singing, songs used to praise God. God exalted these, these humble servants. God loves to lift up the humble. And that's good to remember because, because we, we like to try to lift ourselves up in this life because, because well, that's just what we do. We try to get higher than other people. And what we really need to be doing is going low. Because when we go low, that allows God to lift us up. You know what else is really neat here about the sons of Korah? Their, their, their father, Korah's example and sin did not determine their path in life. The Lord did. 
And they went on to serve the Lord, and they were used by God to write this beautiful and encouraging psalm as well as ten others. You know, your, your past has a great influence on your life. But God is greater. God can use your life, no matter your past, no matter what kind of uh, work or, or abilities that, that you have. Maybe, maybe you are a janitor. But God can use you for something new, lasting, and beautiful, just like he did with the sons of Korah. I couldn't let this psalm go without talking a little bit about them. Now let's, let's discuss the content of this psalm. The, the Christian life is, is not a continuous upward journey where things just get better and better and better and better. The followers of Christ have many ups and downs. Have you ever been in a spiritually low time? You found yourself just going through the motions without feeling any connection to God. It's, it's a difficult time. And if that describes you, I, I want to remind you of a couple things. First, we must remember that those, fe- that, that those are feelings, and we must not lose hope because of those feelings. Remember that God has not disconnected himself from those who are his own through Christ Jesus. He never will. But second, we we don't want to ignore those feelings, pretend they're not there, just stuff them away into the the closet of of our heart. We want to bring them to God. If if anything, the the Psalms have taught us that. Don't just just hide it away. Don't pretend things are okay. Bring it to God in all of its messiness. He loves our messiness because He loves us. This This Psalm shows us how to pray when we have those feelings of disconnection or or apathy, when we feel like we've lost our love for our Lord or he just doesn't feel close. And the wonderful thing is God answers this prayer because it's one of the inspired prayers of his prayer book to us. I have four points for this psalm. And with stunning alliteration. Pause to remember, a prayer for revival, a promise to rejoice in, and a picture to reinvigorate us. So let's meditate on this psalm together. A pause to remember. First three verses. Now we might be tempted to skip this part and go straight to the plea or the prayer, but but we'd be missing a critical step if we did that. One of the greatest errors of uh, the people of God was the one they made in the wilderness. Well, they actually continued to make this error after the exodus from Egypt. They forgot what God had done for them. They forgot how he delivered them out of Egypt. 
they had their minds set on their current situation, which, which wasn't favorable. Right? Who wants to be stuck in the wilderness? They had forgotten the way that God had miraculously delivered them from bondage or slavery in Egypt. And, you know, this, nothing, nothing changes really. This is the same for us. We, we tend to focus on our current situation. So if it's bad, we go to a dark place and we grumble to ourselves and we complain to others if they'll listen. Same thing if we're feeling spiritually low. We focus on our current state and mourn and, and just, just nurture those feelings of hopelessness that things will ever change. We need to cast our minds back and remember when we were on a spiritual high. When we, when we look forward to our quiet time with God because we heard God speaking to us and, and we saw God answering prayer and using us in incredible ways. And if you don't have a time to turn back to like that, simply turn back to the gospel. Let, let me read the first three verses of this psalm again. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all their wrath. You turned from your hot anger. You, you forgave the iniquity of your people, the sin of your people. You covered their sin. You withdrew your wrath. All this happened to you when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Remember it again. Simply remember it again. Remember that Jesus died to make you His because He chose to love you forever. And that doesn't change. No matter how you're feeling. No matter how apathetic you might be right now. Now, we, we don't know what verses 1 to 3 are referring to historically. Right? Because it's, you know, they're looking back, but we, we don't see anything specifically uh, that can kind of like pinpoint it in history. But it could be, and I think there's a strong case for this, it could be the return of the people of God from Babylonian captivity. Right? All hope seemed lost when the southern kingdom, Judah, was defeated and then exiled to Babylon. But God is never done with His people. If you're God's child through Jesus Christ, God is never done with you. He never washes His hands of you. He, he never says, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm out. Never. After the Jews were restored to their land, it, it wasn't long before their joy turn to sorrow. Right? It, it, was, it was hard to reestablish themselves. You know, they, they, had, they had built the temple, but it was, a, it was just a shadow of, of Solomon's temple that, that, in, in all its splendor. And that's why you had the, the, older, the older Jews crying when, when they dedicated it, because they knew that it, 
that it just didn't cast a shadow on the other one. You know, we're told in Nehemiah that the people were in great trouble and distress. If this is the event that this psalm is referring back to, then the people are casting their minds back to the excitement of how God brought them back to the land because they didn't think they'd ever go back. When you got exiled to Babylon, they, they tried to make you sort of into a Babylonian, changing your name, your identity, and God preserved all that and then He delivered them. When we cast our minds back to God and His mighty works, it gives us hope and fuels our prayer for revival. That's our next point, point number two. When we do that, when we cast our minds back, we remember that it was not us who did the work in our life, but God. Did you notice in that section, in those first three verses, that God is the subject of every verb? They are remembering that it was only God who restored them, forgave them, and poured out His blessing on them. This is what leads us toward prayer for revival. Because revival in us is God working in us, not us trying harder to work. Let me read this, this section in verses 4 to 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This is a lament toward God's displeasure with them. The reason they were exiled into Babylon is because they turned away from God. God will discipline His children in love when they go astray in order to bring them back to where they need to be. If that is happening in your life right now, I just encourage you to trust God. Trust Him. God is a good and wise Father who knows what His children need. He's, he's not like us who, who sometimes let our anger carry us away. You know what I'm talking about? We, we, can, we can often lose control or, and, and because of that, you know, we don't see things clearly. That's often the case when we're angry. God sees things with perfect vision. His, his vision is never clouded when he's angry. And God's anger is righteous and completely just. And he is never out of control throwing lightning bolts at us. There, there's often an emotional need tied to our anger. 
which is often why we kind of feel justified in it, even if it's not just. But God has no emotional needs. He is at perfect peace within his triune self. And this is why you can, you can trust and love, yes, love his discipline in your life. You know, what is interesting in this section here is that there is no confession of sin made. It, it seems God's discipline is not on them because of sin, but because their hearts have drifted back to complacency after God restored them. And they are equating that to God prolonging his, his anger. Yes, Lord, you, you let us out, but, but things are still tough. They, they got better, and then they got tough again. They are basically calling out to God, saying, enough is enough, Lord. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty bold prayer. But what they are discontent with is not God's anger, but their coolness toward God because they know God can change that situation. They know God can change their hearts. In verse 7, they say, show us or, or cause us to see your steadfast love. See, the people don't doubt God's never-failing love, but they can't see it. They, they know it's there, but their vision is cloudy. The people want to see God's love in all its stunning brilliance, but they can't. And we should want that too. We should want to be able to see God's love in all of its stunning brilliance. Look at, look at the other request in verse 6. Will you not revive us again? This expects a, a positive answer because the emphasis of the phrase is on you. Will you not revive us again? With the focus on God, you can always expect his anger, his displeasure, his irritation, whatever you want to call it, you can always expect that to lift, to not remain forever. Psalm 30, verse 5, says this, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. If you are God's child, he has a bias toward mercy with you. God delights in mercy and takes no pleasure in judgment. Christ is the proof of that. Christ shows us that God knows how to turn toward sinful, rebellious people. When we remember what God has done and, and go to God in prayer to act, we have confidence to move forward because our plea is not based on merits, but on mercy. 
his mercy. The next point is in verses 8 and 9. After we ask for something, we wait for an answer, don't we? Well, at least we should. Verse 8 helps us to see that, we sh that that should be the case after prayer. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. That's the first part of verse 8. This is so simple, but I, I feel like we miss this concept of listening for God to answer us. We, we can't think of God like some sort of cosmic prayer vending machine, right? Simply sort of dispensing the answers. He, he is a personal God. He is a father to those who are his own through Jesus. We need to slow down and listen to what he will say. Now, just to avoid confusion, he doesn't speak with an audible voice in most cases because he's given us his word, the Bible. But he will also line up people and circumstances to communicate his answers from time to time as well. But remember, if those circumstances or people or, or, a, or, or a voice ever contradict his word, that is not God's voice speaking to you. No matter how loud, no matter how frequent, no matter how popular it may seem to be. The psalmist remembers two promises as he listens to the Lord after this prayer for revival. The first is found in the second part of verse 8. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. So whatever the answer to the prayer, God promises to speak his peace to his people. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which carries the idea of complete and total well-being. The second part is found in verse 9. The first part of verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So whatever the answer to the prayer, God promises that his saving grace is always near. God never tires of saving us from whatever we've fallen into, even if it's just our own appetite. I can't help but wonder if perhaps the sons of Korah remembered Jeremiah's prophecy concerning the return from exile when they penned these two verses. Let, let me read a couple verses from this prophecy in Jeremiah 29. First verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That word welfare might be translated peace in your Bible. It's the same word as here in Psalm 85. 
It's the word shalom. God has plans for total well-being for his children. You can trust him. You can trust him. And then verse 13 of Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The reason why God will be found by his children who seek him is because he's never far. He's never far. We might perceive him to be far, but he never truly is. One danger is remembered here in the last line of verse 8. But let them not turn back to folly. Because our, our hearts are often resistant toward God and his working, there, there's always a danger of turning back to our foolishness. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 13 gives that condition of seeking him, not casually or coolly, but with our whole heart, with our whole heart if we want to truly find him. Now, God's not being an unreasonable stickler here with a requirement. The Lord knows that if we keep a part of our life back from him, that part that we keep back has the greatest potential of becoming an idol that will pull us away from him yet again. Can you can trust God. You can trust God. So, we've remembered, prayed, listened, and now what are we left with? A picture to reinvigorate us. It's a, it's a hope of revival, that God will revive us anew and again. L look at this picture with me in verses 10 and 11. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. <laughs> this is a picture picture without God's discipline. There's only God's love, salvation, peace, and glory. There's, there's no difficulties in this picture. Revival from the Lord is like a little piece of heaven on earth. It's, it's a picture of glory dwelling among us. And that's a picture of Jesus coming to earth. John 1:14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, God answers all of our prayers for revival ultimately in Christ Jesus. Righteousness and peace kiss each other on the cross. Jesus died to satisfy the righteous requirements of God's law and in so doing provides us with the gift of perfect peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives it to all who will receive his Son in faith. Jesus is the reason why we have an emphatic yes to the end of this song. 
Look at it, verses 12 and 13. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. God will give us what is good. God dwelling among us. God has the ability to remedy our wrongs. Jesus takes away all reason that God would have to ever withhold his saving grace to you and revive us again. Revival renews what God himself has already granted in the past through Jesus Christ. We need to to stop being so content with so little from God, thinking that he is a stingy miser. We need to stretch out our desires to match God's riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this topic of revival has definitely been one that has been abused in your church. And at the very least, misunderstood. And so, Father, through this psalm of the sons of Korah, I pray you would just implant within us what we need to do when we're feeling that coolness toward you, that that apathetic nature toward, toward living for you. Thank you that you've given us a pattern to take that and apply it in our lives. A pattern of remembering, remembering what you have already done for us through Christ Jesus. Then a pattern of praying and not hiding things from you, but confessing them all. And then a pattern of listening listening for your answers, primarily through your word. And then being or expecting a reinvigoration to our souls. We can expect all of that from you because you are a good and gracious God and you have immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us. So again, Lord, help us to not be content with so little from you. For you desire to give us so much. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. 
Join us again next week for our next podcast.